Welcome to the Humanity Matters Podcast, where we discuss philosophy, faith, leadership, nonprofits, and a host of social issues. We want to add value and understanding the dignity and freedom of human beings. For more information, visit the website philipfletcher.org. And now, the Humanity Matters Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Dr. Philip Fletcher. And over the next few uh, weeks, we are going to be hearing from Frederick Douglass. Now, uh, Frederick Douglass was a profound man in the 19th century. He was a former slave and became one of the most photographed uh, men in the world at his time. He was also a strong abolitionist, uh, very influential, advocating even to Abraham Lincoln himself. And so I would hope over these next few weeks that you would learn and be blessed by my brother and yours, Frederick Douglass. What are the colored people doing for themselves? July 1848. Frederick Douglass. The present is a time when every colored man in the land should bring this important question home to his own heart. It is not enough to know that white men and women are nobly devoting themselves to our cause. We should know what is being done among ourselves, that our white friends have done and are still doing a great and good work for us is a fact which ought to excite in us sentiments of the profoundest gratitude. But it must never be forgotten that when they have exerted all their energies, devised every scheme and done all they can do in asserting our rights, proclaiming our wrongs and rebuking our foes, their labor is lost. Yea, worse than lost unless we are found in the faithful discharge of our anti-slavery duties. If there be one evil spirit among us, for the casting out of which we pray more earnestly than another, it is that lazy, mean, and cowardly spirit that robs us of all manly self-reliance and teaches us to depend upon others for the accomplishment of that which we should achieve with our own hands. Our white friends can remove and are rapidly removing the barriers to our improvement while they themselves have set up. But the main work must be commenced, carried on and concluded by ourselves. While we should, under no circumstances, undervalue or fail to appreciate the self-sacrificing efforts of our friends, it should never be lost sight of that our destiny for good or for evil, for time and for eternity is by an all-wise God committed to us and that all the helps and hindrances we may meet while upon earth can never release us from this high and heaven-imposed responsibility. It is evident that we can be improved and elevated only just 
so fast and far as we shall improve and elevate ourselves. We must rise or fall, succeed or fail by our own merits. If we are careless and unconcerned about our own rights and interests, it is not within the power of all the earth combined to raise us from our present degraded condition. And I quote, hereditary bondmen, know ye not, who would be free? Themselves must strike the blow. We say that the present is the time when every colored man should ask himself the question, what am I doing to elevate and improve my condition and that of my brethren at large? While the oppressed of the world are, by holding public meetings, putting forth addresses, passing resolutions, and by efforts in various other ways, making their wishes known to the world, and while the working men of our country are pressing their cause upon popular attention, it is a shame that we, who are enduring wrongs far more grievous than any other portion of the family of man, are comparatively idle and indifferent about our welfare. We confess with the deepest mortification that out of the 500,000 free colored people in this country, not more than 2,000 can be supposed to take any special interest in measures for our own elevation. And probably not more than 1,500 take, read, and pay for an anti-slavery paper. We say this in sorrow, not in anger. It cannot be said that we are too poor to patronize our own press to any greater extent than we do now. For in popular demonstration of odd fellowship and Freemasonry and the like, we expend annually from ten to $12,000. If we put forth a call for a national convention for the purpose of considering our wrongs and asserting our rights and adopting measures for our mutual elevation and the emancipation of our enslaved fellow countrymen, we shall bring together about 50. But if we call a grand celebration of odd fellowship or of Freemasonry, we shall assemble, as was the case a few days ago in New York, from four to five thousand, the expense of which alone would be from seventeen to twenty thousand dollars, a sum sufficient to maintain four or five thousand efficient presses devoted to our elevation and improvement. We should not say this of odd fellowship and Freemasonry but that these are swallowing up the best energies of many of our best men, contenting them with the glittering follies of artificial display and indisposing them to seek for solid and important realities. The enemies of our people see this tendency in us and encourage it. The same persons who would puff up such demonstrations in the newspapers would mob us if we met to adopt measures for obtaining our just rights. They see our weak points and avail themselves of them to crush us. We are intimidating the inferior qualities and examples of white men and neglecting the superior ones. We do not pretend that all the members of the odd fellow societies and Masonic lodges are indifferent to their rights and the means of obtaining them. For we know the fact to be otherwise.
Some of the best and brightest among us are numbered with those societies, and it is on this account that we make these remarks. We desire to see these noblemen expending their time, talents, and strength for higher and nobler objects than any that can be attained by the weak and glittering follies of odd fellowship and Freemasonry. We speak plainly on this point, for we feel deeply. We have dedicated ourselves, heart and soul, without reserve to the elevation and improvement of our race and have resolved to sink or swim with them. Our inmost soul is fired with a sense of the various forms of injustice to which we are daily subjected and we must and will speak out against anything within ourselves or our guilty oppressors which may tend to prolong this reign of injustice. To be faithful to our oppressors, we must be faithful to ourselves and shame upon any colored man who would have us otherwise. For this very purpose, the North Star was established, that it might be as faithful to ourselves as to our oppressors. We intend that it shall, in this respect, be different from most of its predecessors. And if it cannot be sustained in its high position, its death will be welcomed by us. It is a doctrine held by many good men in Europe as well as in America that every oppressed people will gain their rights just as soon as they prove themselves worthy of them. And, and although we may justly object to the extent to which this doctrine is carried, especially in reference to ourselves as a people, it must still be evident to all that there is a great truth in it. One of the first things necessary to prove the colored man worthy of equal freedom is an earnest and persevering effort on his part to gain it. We deserve no earthly or heavenly blessing for which we are unwilling to labor. For our part, we despise a freedom and equality obtained for us by others and for which we have been unwilling to labor. A man who will not labor to gain his rights is a man who would not, if he had them, prize and defend them. What is the use of standing a man upon his feet if, when we let him go, his head is again brought to the pavement? Look out of ourselves as we will. Beg and, and pray to our white friend for assistance as much as we will, and that assistance may come. And come at the needed time. But unless we, the colored people of America, shall set about the work of our own regeneration and improvement, we are doomed to drag on for ages in our present miserable and degraded condition. Would that we could speak to every colored man, woman and child in the land and with the help of heaven. We would thunder in their ears their duties and responsibilities until a spirit should be aroused among them, never to be lulled till the last chain is broken. We are mortified to reflect that we are now speaking to tens where we ought to be speaking to thousands. Unfortunately, those who have on Sundays the ear of our people have little sympathy for the anti-slavery cause. 
or with the cause of progress in any of its phases. They are too frequently disposed to follow the beaten track of their fathers. The most at which they aim is to get to heaven when they die. They reason thus, our fathers got along through the world pretty well without learning, without meddling with abolitionism, and we can do the same. We have in mind three pulpits among the colored people of the North, which have the power to produce in three years a revolution in the condition of the colored people in this country. First, among these, we may mention the Greater Bethel Church in Philadelphia. That church is the largest colored church in this union, and from 2,000 to 3,000 persons worship there every Sabbath. It has its branches in nearly all parts, to the north and west and a few in the south. It is surrounded by numerous little congregations in Philadelphia. Its ministers and bishops travel in all directions, and vast numbers of colored people belong to its branches all over the country. The Bethel pulpit in Philadelphia may be said to give tone to the entire denomination. As goes large Bethel, so goes the small Bethel throughout the Union. Here is concentrated the talent of the church, and here is the central and ruling power. Now, if that pulpit would but speak the right word, the word for progress, the word for mental culture, if it would encourage reading and would occasionally take up contributions to aid those who are laboring for their elevation, as the white churches do to aid the colonization society to send us out of the country, there is no telling the good it might accomplish. An entire change might soon take place in that denomination. Loftier views of truth and duty would be presented. A nobler destiny would be opened up and a deeper happiness would at once be enjoyed through all the ramifications of that church. Similarly situated in the Zion Church in New York, that church exerts a controlling influence over the next largest colored denomination in this country. It, too, is a unit. It has its branches in all the directions in the north, rather than in the South. Its ministers are zealous men, and some of them are powerful preachers. There is no estimating the good that these men might do if they would only encourage their congregations to take an interest in the subject of reform. The next church of importance is that of St. Philip's in New York City. This church is more important on account of the talent and respectability which it compromises than for its numbers. Could the influence of these churches but be enlisted in exciting our people to a constant and persevering effort at self-elevation? A joyful change would soon come over us. What we, the colored people, want is character. And this nobody can give us. It is a thing we must get for ourselves. We must labor for it. It is gained by toil hard toil. Neither the sympathy nor the generosity of our friends can give it to us. It is attainable. Yes, thank God it is attainable. It is attainable, but each must attain it for himself. There is gold in the earth, 
but we must dig it. So it is with character. What matters? It is to the mass of colored people of this country that they are able to point to their Penningtons, to their Garnets, their Ramons, their Wards, their Perfises, their Smiths, their Whippers, their Sundersons, and respectable list of other men of character whom we might name while our general ignorance makes these men exceptions to our race. Their talents can do little to give us character in the eyes of the world. We must, as people, get character for ourselves. A change in our political condition would, without this, do very little for us. Character is the important thing, and we must Rout it. We must continue to be marked for degradation and stamped with the brand of inferiority. With character, we shall be powerful, possessing it. Nothing can harm us. There are certain great elements of character in us which may be hated, but never despised. Industry, sobriety, honesty, combined with intelligence and a due self-respect. Find them where you will among black or white must be looked up to. They can never be looked down upon. Prejudice is in their presence, abashed, confused and mortified. Encountering these solid masses of living character, our vile oppressors are ground to atoms. In its presence, the sneers of a character press the taunts of a natural inferiority, the mischievous assertions of clay and the fine suffisisms of Calhoun are innuous, powerless and unavailing. In answer to these men and the sneers of the multitude, there is nothing in the wide world half so effective as the presentation of a character precisely the opposite of all their representations. We have it in our power to convert into positive blessings the weapons intended for our injury. That we may sustain temporary injury from gross and general misrepresentation is most true. But the injury is most temporary and must disappear at the approach of light as mist disappears from the veil. The offensive traits of character imputed to us can be injurious to us only while they are true of us for a man to say that sweet is bitter, that right is wrong, that light is darkness is not to injure the truth, but to stamp himself a liar. And the like is true when to us is imputed that of which we are not guilty. We have the power of making our enemies slanderers, and this we must do by showing ourselves worthy and respectable men. We are not insensible to the various obstacles which throng the colored man's pathway to respectability. Embarrassments and perplexities unknown to other men are common to us. Though born on American soil, we have fewer privileges than aliens. The schoolhouse, the workshop, the, the counting house, the attorney's office and various professions are open to them, but closed to us. This and much more is true. A general and withering prejudice, a malignant and active hate pursues us even in the best parts of this country.
But a few days ago, one of our best and most talented men, and he a lame man, having lost an important limb, was furiously hurled from a car on the Niagara and Buffalo Railroad by a, a band of white ruffians who claim impunity for their atrocious outrage on the plea that New York law does not protect the rights of colored men against a company of white men. And the sequel has proven that they are correct in this assertion for the case, as it appears, was brought before the grand jury. But the jury found no bill. We cannot at this time dwell upon this aspect of the question. The fact that we are limited and circumscribed ought rather to incite us to a more vigorous and persevering use of the elevating means within our reach than to dishearten us. The means of education, though not so free and open to us as to white persons, are nevertheless to our command to such an extent as to make education possible. And these, thank God, are increasing. Let us educate our children, though it should subject us to a coarser and scantier diet and disrobe us of our few fine garments. For the want of knowledge, we are killed all the day. Get wisdom, get understanding. It's a peculiarly valuable exhortation to us and the compliance with it is our only hope in this land. It is idle and a hollow mockery for us to pray to God to break the oppressor's power while we neglect the means of knowledge which will give us the ability to break this power. God will help us when we help ourselves. Our oppressors have divested us of many valuable blessings and facilities for improvement and elevation, but thank heaven, they have not yet been able to take from us the privilege of being honest, industrious, sober, and intelligent. We may read and understand. We may speak and write. We may expose our wrongs. We may appeal to the sense of justice yet alive in the public mind. And by an honest, upright life, we may at last wring from a reluctant public the all-important confession that we are men, worthy men, good citizens, good Christians, and that we ought to be treated as such. Thank you for listening to the Humanity Matters podcast. For more information, visit the website philipfletcher.org or send us an email at humanitymatterspodcast at gmail.com. And remember, as always, if we remember to live in hope, we can do the impossible. So be love, be kind, and be generous.